today we are going to be in Ephesians, as we have been. Uh, we have four chapters down, and we got two to go, all right? And we are not done yet. Uh, chapter five is where we're going to be. We're in a message entitled, Imitating Jesus, and we are in the first 14 verses of chapter five. Um, he is going to open up chapter five with this clear charge, this clear instruction to be an imitator of God. If you look in your Bibles, hopefully you have them open there already. Once you get there, notice verse one, he says, therefore be an imitator of God. It's been said in the past that to imitate Jesus, to do that is the highest standard in the world. You don't get higher. It's the sum of all of our Christian duty is to do what Jesus did, and it is the ultimate ideal. There's nothing better that you and I could do. There's no higher goal that we could attain than to seek to do and to say that which Jesus did and said and would do and would say. Have you guys ever heard or seen these bracelets? You guys ever seen these? Anyone know what that acronym stands for? All right, what would Jesus do? Now, this is, uh, this is an acronym that came out in the 90s, was popularized, and then kind of has, has kind of trickled off. Raise your hand if you've ever had like a what would, you, what would Jesus do bracelet. Okay. Would you guys, do they still sell them? So when I was a kid, they sold them for Bible bucks. Oh, you have one on? Dang, just, what? They're making a comeback. Well, that's, that's good to know. So back in my day, all right, in Shona's ministry, you know how they had like the little Bible bucks stores? I remember you could buy like, what would, what would Jesus do bracelets? Um, and for whatever reason, uh, these bracelets have gotten like, this acronym has gotten some attack over, year, over the years. I think sometimes pastors just can't come up with good material. So they like attack good, good things. But what would Jesus do? It's a very biblical concept and it goes in line with exactly what we're talking today. Now, what would Jesus do is typically posed in a question. Um, but there is an answer to it. It's not a question with no answer. I believe because of what we have in the scriptures, we have not just one account of Jesus's life, but how many? Four accounts of Jesus's life, right? Matthew, Mark, uh, Luke, and John. And then we have the other scriptures to show us uh, what Jesus would do. So the answer to this question, we know it from scripture, but it's not not only do we need to pose this question, but we need to then seek to implement the answer to this question. I believe you and I can take the scriptures in such a way that we know it, that we, we come to uh, situations and, and circumstances in life, and we can say, if I were Jesus, what would I do? And I think that we can biblically answer that. And that's why it's important for you and I to study the gospels. If you personally, not apart from a Bible study, apart from a family, even devotion, if you've never personally read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you need to do that right away because it is, it is awesome. It shows how God would act as a human. It shows how he did act, which is a great example uh, for you and I. Now, we know ultimately Jesus didn't, didn't come just to show us the perfect model of how God would want us to live. 
Ultimately, he came, right, to sacrifice himself for our sins, but that is certainly uh, a plus. It is certainly a benefit that scripture points us to. And so why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's word as we learn what it looks like to be an imitator of Jesus. All right, we're going to be in, uh, we're going to be in Ephesians 5. We're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to read a pretty good chunk. We're going to go all the way down to verse 14, Okay. So you guys should have your Bibles open in front of you. As I begin to read, you should start in verse one in your own head and heart, and then I'll read down and then we'll pray uh, for God's blessing upon the message. Sound good? Sound good? Sound good? All right, I want you guys to talk to me today, all right? Give me some some, uh, feedback. Verse one, therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love. As Christ has also loved us and given himself for us, an offering and sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you, as it is fitting for the saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. Verse eight, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Verse 14, therefore he says, awake you who sleep. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Let's pray. Father, this is your word to us from eternity. Lord, it's incredible to think about all the stuff and material things in this life is going to burn away one day. But the one thing that will endure forever is the word of the Lord. The flower fades The grass withers, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And so God, this eternal word to us this morning, God, we ask that you'd give us understanding, that you'd open the eyes of our heart that we might see not only your instruction to us, but Lord, that we'd be able to receive the power from you to go and live it. God, we love you and pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Well, you may be seated. Well, we see here in verse one that Paul gives this charge, be an imitator of God. Now, what does it mean to imitate? To be an imitator comes from a Greek word where we, where we get our English word to mimic. The Greek word, I don't really know how to pronounce it, but it's like mimetes or something like that. I don't speak Greek, but I try. Um, but that word comes from where we get our English word to mimic. Uh, and some of you guys maybe even experienced that 
uh, this week with maybe a younger brother or sister that thought it would be fun or funny to copy you, right? You guys ever experienced that? Or maybe you are the younger brother or sister who did that to someone else. Now, now oftentimes, right, we do that to annoy a sibling, uh, but, but the concept is, is similar. And the way to be an imitator is to be someone who copies the words and the actions of another. It is to mimic. Now, you and I are not just to mimic anyone. We're not just to imitate anyone, but specifically Jesus, specifically the Lord. We are to seek to mimic what he says and what he does. There's nothing original about the Christian life. Everything that you and I do as a Christian should be stolen, in a sense, from the word of God. We really are just people who seek to plagiarize God's word, and it is a good thing. You guys know what plagiarism is? Typically, you can get in trouble for school when rather than actually writing the paper, you just go to Wikipedia and copy and paste. You guys know what I'm talking about? right? Plagiarizing. It's, it's, it's not good. But when it comes to living our life and the things that we say and the way that we talk and the way that we live, we should copy from the Bible and paste into our life. Everything we do should not be new. It should just be from what we have been instructed to do. So how would God live if he was a human being? This is where you and I are so grateful that Jesus came, became flesh, and dwelt among us. And the necessary parts of his life were written down for you and I as an example to us. We know the, the principles, the qualities, and the characteristics of how Jesus lived his life. John 13, 15, Jesus was to say this to his disciples, in that upper room. He says this, for I have given you an example. Everyone say example. Example. That you should do as I have done to you. Now, this is in the direct context of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. And he says, look, I'm your teacher. I'm your Lord. And look at the example I am setting for you. I am putting myself second to put you first. Now, when we talk about being an imitator of Jesus, it doesn't mean we do exactly what he did. Because what did Jesus do when he came here on earth? He lived a life and died on the cross. And so if we're going to take this to the T, then we should all seek to die on a cross one day. But of course, we know we don't need to do that because Jesus died on the cross once and for all. Now, you take that same principle to what happened here in John 13, the foot washing scene. When Jesus takes the towel and wraps it around his waist and begins to wash the feet of the disciples. You familiar with the story? Does that mean that we today need to get some bowls of water, get some rags, and I'm going to take off my boots and you guys are going to wash my feet and I'm going to wash your feet. No, that's weird. We don't need to do exactly what Jesus did, but we take the principles, we take the heart and the spirit in which he did those things and we apply it to our life. 
And we know that Jesus lived his life in a way of love, of putting himself second. Now notice here though, it says that we are to imitate God as dear children. You guys, we're still in verse one. You guys see it? Imitate God as dear children. Dear children are not, um, it, it means children that are loved, beloved children, meaning it's a, it's a picture for us. We don't do this. We don't imitate God because we have to. We imitate God because we get to, because we want to. It's, it's the picture of, of how a child would look to their their father or their mother and begin to maybe even subconsciously, sometimes not even realizing it, seek to mimic and imitate certain qualities. Maybe for some of you, there are certain things that you do and you do those things because of your dad or your mom. Maybe there are certain things you say or uh, certain tendencies you have. You know, even your maybe little sibling that seeks to mimic you at times. Now, sometimes they do that just to annoy you. But sometimes they do that because they look up to you. They, they, they copy, they want to wear the clothes you wear. They want to listen to the music you listen to because they are looking up to you. That's kind of the picture we have here, that we seek to imitate God because there is no higher standard. There, there's no greater ideal that we could seek to follow. Okay, does that make sense? So that's the charge. But how do we do it? Well, Paul goes on in, in this section of scripture to give two examples of how we can live to mimic the Lord. And the way that we imitate Jesus, just two points today, you can note them down and then we'll go through them. The way we imitate Jesus is to number one, walk in love, and number two, walk in light. Those would be two categories that summarize the life of Jesus. He walked in love and he walked in light. He said of himself that he was the light of the world. And everywhere he went, he radiated agape love. And so let's go through the first one. Uh, the way we imitate Jesus is we are to walk in love. That's why in verse two, he says that very thing. Look in your Bibles. He says that we are to walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us. Jesus exampled this in an incredible way, that the summation of how he lived in love, right? When we say walk in love, we're talking about the way that you live your life. Remember walk, we've talked about this for the last uh, uh, few studies. Walk is the idea of behavior, of someone's conduct. That's why when we started chapter four, do you remember when Tate taught, he talked about how we are to walk worthy of the gospel. We are to walk worthy of that calling in which we've been called. And so Jesus walked or lived everywhere he went in love, ultimately sacrificing himself on the cross. How did he do this? Jesus put himself second. He did this in practical ways. He clearly did it on the cross. Did Jesus have to die on the cross? Was he obligated to do that? He wasn't. He chose to. It was not out of obligation. It was willingly. He, he willingly went to the cross. He put himself second. But even think about the other stories you know about Jesus. There were times when Jesus was tired. You know, Jesus was a human. And so he slept. He, he went through things. And there were times when Jesus was exhausted 
and was tired and just wanted to get away with his disciples and eat some food. But then there'd be more people coming. And did he shoo them away? No, he said, we got to meet the needs because he put himself second. Now, that's a nice thing to say that we should do. It's a simple thing, really. Put yourself second. But you know how hard that is in the day-to-day type of stuff? Some of you will struggle with that very thing following this service. You guys will go to lunch and you'll get a pizza and you'll have your two slices, but you really want the third, but there's only one left. And you're either going to seek to take it for yourself or you're going to let your sibling take it for you. And even in the small things, to walk in love is to walk in secondness. It's to put yourself second in the small things and the big things. And that is how we imitate Jesus. That is the, the whole whole of scripture. I mean, think about the verses that might come to mind. And that we are to not just um, look to ourselves, but to esteem others better than ourselves. And so by nature, this love has a sacrificial nature. That's what, that's what verse two says. That's why he uses Jesus as an example. He says, walk in love as Jesus, as Christ also loved us by giving himself for us. Does that make sense? So this love has a sacrificial nature to it, but it also has a factor, a quality of separation. So if you're taking notes, you should note the idea of um, uh, sacrificial, but also separation. Now, what am I talking about? Jesus intentionally separated himself from sin. Any love that is legitimate will have an aspect of separation. Let me, let me illustrate it for you. Uh, yesterday, I had the privilege of officiating a wedding. It was uh, pretty cool. And it was actually two leaders from our ministry. I don't know if you guys know Daniel and Kalea, but they got married yesterday. It was very cool. Daniel served second service. Kalea just serves Wednesdays. Um, but, uh, and it was awesome. It was a, it was a great day uh, full of joy and love. And, you know, so I don't know if you've ever been to a wedding, but we were there. I was, I was officiating. And so I, I was there and Daniel and Clay were standing in front and they were exchanging vows with one another. They were, they were saying, I do to one another. And by that very fact that they said, I do to one another, they are saying, I don't to everyone else. There's a separating factor by this. That's why the, the verse says, therefore a man shall leave his mother and father, separate and be joined to the wife, right? To the woman. This is the picture that true love has an aspect of separation. They said yes to each other, which means they said no to everyone else. Does that make sense? And when you and I say yes to Jesus, we're saying no to everything else that doesn't have to do with what Jesus has asked us to do. We are saying yes to Jesus, which means we're saying no to ourselves, regardless of our sinful desires. And this is illustrated in the next handful of verses. Notice in your Bibles, um, starting in verse then three, he says, but there's this kind of contrast. He said, you walk in love, walk in sacrifice, but in contrast, There should be some certain things that are not even named among you. He says they are not fitting for saints. Notice in your Bibles, he says things like fornication, 
He says things like filthiness or covetousness or foolish talking. Now, before we get into the the details of these, notice what it says within verse three and four. You guys look in your Bibles. He says things like these things, these aspects should not be named among those who seek to imitate Jesus because these things are far from how Jesus would live and how he would act. He says it's not fitting. This is the word proper or appropriate. There are certain things that are inappropriate for the Christian to do. Now, for someone who is not a Christian, not a believer, there's no sense of morality. Now, they have a sense of morality because God has put it in them, right? Every person, whether they believe in God or not, God has put a conscience in man. There's this, there's this basic understanding of right and wrong with all people. However, for the Christian, our standard is Jesus, and that's who we seek to imitate. Now, you and I won't be perfectly conformed to that image of Jesus until when? Until heaven, which is either by death or by the rapture. I'm really banking and hoping on the rapture, but that's another topic for another day. It's not fitting. There are certain things that just, they, they don't go. When we call ourselves Christians, there's certain things, there should be no other title that we give ourselves, that that is the ultimate and there's nothing additional to that. And so notice a few of these things that are mentioned. He first, look at verse three, he mentions this word fornication. Now, I don't know if you have ever heard this word or not, but the word fornication means sexual immorality. It is to act with anyone in any kind of way sexual outside of the biblical, listen, confines of a marriage between a man and a woman according to how God has designed marriage. So fornication or sexual immorality, sexual sin, is any sin outside of the marriage relationship, okay? Any with anyone. Now, what's interesting about this though, because we're talking about love, right? We're talking about walking in love. And so this is the contrast. But when people engage in sexual activity outside of marriage, one thing that they often will say is, well, we're just so in love. We're not married. I haven't committed myself to her. There's no ring, but we're just, we're just in love. And so there should be no limit to what we can do. But according to the Bible, true love, listen, always waits. So ladies, guys, listen, true love always waits. It's the reality. Legitimate love will think about the purity of another before their own desires. But what you will have the possibility of hearing in the future is I just love you so much. If you love me, then you'll protect me. If you love me, then you'll think about my purity rather than your desire. Am I making myself clear? Does it make sense? To walk in love is to put yourself second. It's to think about the person before God, before anything that you want. And so whether it's fornication or the other word he uses is all uncleanness. This is immorality, but in a general kind, often referring to just impurity. And so whether that is with someone else or not, 
he says that these things shouldn't be named with the Christians or covetousness. You guys see that? Verse three, covetousness. This is greediness and the excessive desire of wanting more. Covetousness, the 10th commandment. And then notice verse four, he, he names a few other things. He says, filthiness, foolish talking, and coarse jesting. Now, if you're taking notes, you can note down that those three things in verse four, filthiness, foolish talking, or coarse jesting, all have to not do with an action, but language. So filthiness is to, to have a foul, filthy mouth. Foolish talking refers to the type of conversation that someone would have when they're drunk or intoxicated. It's, it's, it's silly, it's foolish, and it's not glorifying to God. But then this last one, and this last one may be also applicable to some of you. Coarse jesting. Coarse jesting is this. It's the verbal skill to use vulgar speech to create laughter. Translation, sex jokes, dirty jokes, jokes that, that, are, that are about um, that are honestly just about sex and, and, and for the purpose of creating laughter. Oh, I didn't do anything. I just joke about it. According to the Bible, this should not be something, this is not how we imitate Jesus. And so this is not fitting for the Christian. This is not fitting for someone who follows the Lord. But notice the contrast there in verse four. He says, but rather, look at the end of verse four in your Bibles. He says, rather giving of thanks. Rather than dirty jokes coming out of our mouth, that shouldn't be happening. Rather than this nastiness of the world, which listen, be careful with any comedians you guys listen to. Because comedians in our world today, good luck finding a clean comedian. There are a few, they're out there, but almost always there will be some kind of what, what is called an innuendo, some kind of a thing that, that points to something funny. Maybe, maybe, um, maybe you've watched shows like that where there's a joke and, and, and maybe some of it goes over your head, but you think that there's some kind of alluding to something that is impure. We are to replace that with being wildly thankful people. Now he comes down to kind of the, the sum of this in verse five. Look in your Bibles, look at verse five. He says, well, why do, we why do we have this attitude towards this? Well, verse five doesn't pull any punches. It says, for this you know, that no fornicator, no one who in a habitual, consistent practice, sex outside of marriage, an unclean person, so that's just someone who lives a life of impurity, whether that's thoughts or actions, nor a covetous man who is an idolater, someone who is just after the pursuit of wanting more and more and what other people have, who makes that their God, notice this, no punches pulled, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. What is being said here? Those who are these things, I mean, this would describe their life. And to something, for something to describe someone's life, it means that this is who they identify as. This is who they are. The Bible says that heaven is not a place for them. You may say, Joel, what? That's so, that's so harsh. Listen, if that is what they still are, then it means they are not 
converted. They are not a Christian. For the converted person doesn't have the testimony of this is what I am, but this is what I was. Meaning now we don't identify ourselves by what we do. We identify ourselves by what he has done for us by him. That's our identification is Jesus. Let me, let me show you this verse. 1 Corinthians six eleven says this, and such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of God. Now there are things that happen before Jesus where there's consistent sin. But when someone comes to Jesus, who they were, they might have been a fornicator or adulterer or whatever other sinful term you want to throw at it. But in Jesus, there is a change. There's a transformation. It's the evidence. Jesus said, you'll know a tree by its what? By its fruit, by its life. And so there's no such thing. Listen, it's impossible for someone to be a, a Christian bank robber. Oh yeah, I'm a Christian, but you know, I rob banks on the side. No, you don't. I mean, you might do that, but you're not a Christian. There's no such thing as a Christian fornicator. Like, yeah, you know, I, I come to church. I'm a Christian, but yeah, I mean, I'm not married, but I like, of course, like I love her. So we have sex and that's just what we do. You, you, then you cannot identify. It's only, listen, and such were some of you. And so the Bible draws a very uh, strong line. And it's important that we know what the Bible says. Now, this doesn't mean that if someone, right, because are any of us perfect? Absolutely not. We are not perfect. We are on pursuit. We still fail. We still sin at times. We still disobey God. We still think things we shouldn't, say things and do things that do not imitate God. But for the Christian, they don't do it consistently, which means some of the things that we talked about today, if those things define you and things define you by consistency, right? If someone is a police officer, they're a police officer because week after week they go and be a police officer. And so that, that, that's somewhat of an identification of them, right? And so if someone is consistently week after week without remorse, living in sin, the Bible says that they're not living in the truth, that you can't have it both ways, but we must not be deceived by this. Look at verse six. Verse six gives us some insight here. It says, let no one deceive you with empty words. Listen, a lot of people in our world today are deceived by this fact. Uh, listen, a lot of people in this church can be deceived by this very truth. That they, they have this mindset of, I'm gonna come in on Sunday and punch the spiritual time card, and then I'm gonna go back to my sin come Monday. And then we'll just do it all over again. Sunday will come. Listen, that's not the Christian life. That's just you wasting your Sunday morning when you could be at the beach. Listen, if you're not Christian, you should not be, I mean, church should be the, not be a place that you want to come. Why come if it's not real? If God's not real, if Christ didn't die, what are we doing here? I want to be by the beach. But no, I know he's real. This is, he has changed my life. Sin is something that yes, still happens, but it's past. Such were some of you. And so we can't be deceived by empty words. So if someone comes to you and says, uh, whatever the sin might be, this, I know the Bible says this is wrong but I do this on a daily, weekly basis. This is something of who I am, but I'm also a Christian. We can't be deceived by empty words. You guys know what empty words are? 
Empty words is like this. It would be as if I told you guys that everything in the snack bar is free after service. It's not true. It's empty words. Now, I'm saying it's, it's, a, it's essentially a lie. It's empty. There, there's, no, there's no truth to it. And so what he is saying here is that we need to not be deceived by empty words. Some of you guys got really sad because you thought, you thought there was free snack bar. But listen, the Bible says that because of this, God's wrath is coming on those who practice disobedience. And this is kind of the distinction that the Bible uses. First John talks about this a lot, about those who practice sin. Practice is the idea of repeated. If there is a repeated sin in your life that over and over and over and over again, and there's no repentance, there's no confession, there's no remorse, you're not seeking to obey God, then you have to examine your own faith, okay? And the verse seven is, is what we do. What, so what do we do with people like this who are deceived on this topic? Well, look at verse seven. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, meaning don't share in what they're doing. Now, though we are to be separate from the sin, we are not to be separate from the sinner. This, this, this verse doesn't mean that you and I should go to an island and let's just create a Christian island. Let's just all go. I mean, let's go today where we just go and, and then anyone who's not a Christian will kick them off the island. Someone sins, we'll kick them off and we'll just, uh, we'll just have this. No, that's not, that's not what we're to do. Jesus didn't do that, right? Jesus, we're told, ate and stayed with known sinners. But did Jesus ever partake in their sin? No. And so there's this separation. At the same time, there was this, this, this light that he lived in. He walked in love. He walked in light, which brings us to our second way to imitate him, which is to walk in light. You guys good? Yeah. All right. These are good, these good, heavy topics, but we need to know them because the call for us is to pursue to imitate Jesus. We're not going to do it perfectly. We're not always going to be walking in love, walking in separation and sacrifice. But when we wake up in the morning, is that our goal? Do we want to please the Lord? Then closer and closer, God will transform us and making us more into Jesus. But that's got to be on the forefront. So Jesus walked in love, but he also walked in light. Notice verse eight. He says, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Darkness and light. Does anyone know what that represents in the Bible? It's a topic that's talked about uh, quite often, but what does darkness represent? What, is, what does light represent? Yeah. Darkness is sin and light is not. Not, <laughs> sin and not sin. Yeah, I mean, right, think about like good and evil. Uh, Jesus, it said of Jesus in John 1 that he was the light who came into the world and that light was the, the light of men. Meaning Jesus came in into a dark, sin-filled, evil world and he said, this is the way. Isn't that what he did? Jesus preached and he said, this is the kingdom of God. He said over and over again, he pointed people to heaven. He was the light. Do you guys know about that story of Jesus uh, and the woman caught in the act of adultery? So that story, so fornication, that's what we talked about, right? That's, that's sexual acts outside of marriage for a single person. Now, if you're married, you're not just a fornicator, you are an adulterer, adultery. Adultery is when you're married, 
but you do something with someone else outside of that one person, okay? And this story, you guys, have you guys heard of the story of the woman caught in adultery? So it's an amazing story. You got to read it in John chapter 8. We don't have time to go into it today. But basically, these Pharisees really wanted to catch Jesus in traps. You know how they always kind of try to ask him questions and pose situations to trap him, to test him? You guys know what I'm talking about? So this instance in John chapter 8, they bring this woman who apparently, we don't know the situation, somehow they caught her in the very act of adultery. We don't know what that looked like. It didn't give details. They bring the woman and they said, hey, we, like Jesus, the law says to stone her because she, she did this against her husband. And so Jesus, what do we do? And you know the story where Jesus says, he who's without sin cast the first stone. Jesus is writing in the sand. You guys are familiar? Yes? So right after that, right, the Pharisees all leave. The woman says, um, Jesus says to the woman, where are your accusers? And he, she says, there's no one, Lord. And so he says, well, then go and sin no more. Right after the same context, Jesus says this. John 8, verse 12 says, then Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness or sin, but have the light of life. See, with that woman, he didn't condemn her, but he didn't say, just keep living how you're living. He said, it's time to walk in the light. And the light that God gives, that Jesus gives for us is through his word. This is how we know how to live and where should we go. This is how we know the difference from dark and light. Notice verse 10, that we are to be finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. You see, this is our pursuit as we walk in the light. That every day, I want to encourage you guys, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 9, Paul says, Therefore, I make it my aim to please him. I don't know what all of us need to do to help that be on the forefront of our minds, but we should wake up in the morning and we should say, God, I just want to get to the end of the day and I want you to have that stamp of approval on my life. I want to please you with the things I do. I know I have school. I know I have this or sports or I got to do homework or I'm hanging out with my friends, but God, through all that, I just want to get to the end of the day saying, I pleased God today. And the only way we can know how to do that is in his word. Psalm 119 verse 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You see, for those living in darkness, meaning anyone who is not following Jesus, they are living in darkness, whether they know it or not. And many people are aimless they have goals, and usually it's all around themselves, right? I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go to school to get this job, to, to do this so I can take care of myself, and, and I'm going to marry who pleases me, and then I'm going to get to the end of life, and, and that's it. And it's kind of this, this aimless, not really knowing. I'm going to wake up, and I'm just going to do what I want to do. But you and I don't have that. We, we have an example, and the example, this light, is through the word. Listen, I believe that you can wake up every day knowing what you're supposed to do. And that is the most, there's nothing that was gonna bring you more contentment and purpose in your life, but it's only gonna be found as you are walking and seeking to walk in his light. All right, is that making sense? 
Now, the contrast, though, is, well, if we are to walk in God's light, which we know through his word, then what do we do with darkness? What should be our relationship with darkness? Well, I kind of like, I love this, this symbolism of light and darkness because darkness is actually not anything in and of itself. Did you know that? Darkness is the absence of something. This is the same with good and evil. The reason something is evil is because it lacks good. The reason that this room is not dark is because the lights are on. It's the, if it was dark, it would be a lack of light. Is, is that making sense? Which means for you and I, if we are to walk in the light, then by nature, wherever we go, there should be an opposition to darkness just by the very way that we live our life. Look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. There's no such thing as dark light. Now there's some different, obviously all kinds of different kinds of light. But darkness is the lack of light. Which means for you and I, as we live our life, these two things should not uh, be coming together. Meaning if we say we walk in the light, there should be no darkness in our life. Let me, let me tell you what Jesus said in John chapter 3. Now we all know John chapter 3 for one singular verse, typically, which is John 3, what? 16. Well, a few verses after, look what Jesus says. He says, and this is the condemnation. This is the judgment. That the light, being Jesus, has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be, what does that word say? Exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. One of the realities of us living a Christian life is going to again be that reality of not just separation for sin for ourselves, but other people are going to be exposed by the way that we live our life. If we are the light of the world, that means the world is in darkness and darkness, notice what it says, darkness hates light because it is exposing and so if you're practicing evil, you hate the light because it's exposing you. The way that you live is a witness. If you are imitating Jesus, it's a witness to their evil deeds. And we're told here that it's because of these things that are done in darkness that it's described as shameful. Notice verse 12. It says, for it is even shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. Darkness is always associated with shame. And so if you live your life according to the light of God's word, then sometimes you don't even have to say anything. Now, sometimes we need to. Sometimes being the light of the world is standing in the gap, standing for righteousness and shining that light and saying the hard truths that, hey, this is wrong. And the world's like, why is it wrong? And you're like, because God's word says this. And so there's this clash, light versus darkness. But it's always, notice it's always associated with shame. Well, let's, let's close our time with turning to uh, 1 John. If you guys have your Bibles open, we're done in Ephesians. But I want to point your attention to this because I think that what we're reading in Ephesians has a really good connection with what John writes in 1 John. If you have your Bibles, 
First John is all the way to the right of your Bibles towards the end. Revelation is, of course, the last book. Then you have Jude. And then right before that, you have the three letters that John wrote. We're going to be in First John. So just to sum it all up, you and I walk in love and walk in light. That's how we imitate Jesus. That's how we do what Jesus would do. That's, that's, that's the goal. But we got to recognize something very important. We got to recognize the source. We're first going to be in 1 John 1 uh, quickly as we, as we just read that. And we're going to notice there that God is light. That's what it says, that he's the very source of it. And then when we go to chapter 4, we're going to notice that God is love. So he is the source. And, and in order for us to do it, we got to be connected with the source. 1 John 1 verse 5 says, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, meaning a relationship and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. You see that walk in darkness. That's kind of what we talked about in the beginning, that if you are practicing darkness and evil, like you're not in the light. And so you're, it's empty words. It's, it's a, a, a life full of a lie. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So just know down here that God, we're told that God is light. And if you and I are to seek to do what Jesus would do, then we too are to walk in his light. He's gonna be the one that provides it, okay? And then jump over to 1 John chapter four. So I should hear a couple pages flipping. 1 John 4. And look at verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And he who does not love God does not know God, for God is what? Love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. First John, this entire book, if you were to go and read it, the themes are light and love. God is the ultimate source. And so listen, as we seek to leave this place, I hope that God has been speaking to you through his word and there's a a spiritual determination of, I want to imitate him. I want to mimic him. I want when people see me, they see him. That should be our heart. But what we got to realize is that in and of, of ourselves, there's no chance we'll even last a day. You won't even make it through lunch without him. That's what the Bible says. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's what Jesus said. So we need to stay connected to the source because he is love, he is light. And if we're gonna walk in his love and in his light, then we need to consistently be connected to him. The Bible calls it to abide, to remain. How do, how do I do that? Talk with him. It, it's in your, it's, it's a, right? You have a spiritual relationship with God. And so as you go from this place, as you go to lunch, as you go home, 
as you have some homework to catch up on, as you go into this week, as you live in a conscious awareness of the presence of God in your life, he's there. And he's always wanting to be connected to you. But you got to stay connected to him. And ask him. When you find yourself, you're like, I am not acting like Jesus. I should take this bracelet off right now because though it says WWJD, I ain't living it. I'm, li- I'm, I'm li- you know, living how I want to. Then just in that moment, rather than like taking the bracelet off and throwing it away and I'm just not good enough. No, don't be weird. Just ask God for strength to help you imitate him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we are just so dependent on you. Lord, there's not one moment that we can do it on our own. And so God, we just submit ourselves before you in this time. We bow our knees at your throne, knowing that we are in dire need of you. And God, we ask that you would help this to be the the mantra, the motto, the the focal point of our life is to please you. And we know that the way to please you is to be like you, to be godly. Lord, but all of us, we know our hearts. We know our shortcomings. We look at our past and sometimes can, Lord, just stop us. But we just pray that you would just continue to clean up our lives, clean up our hearts, as we ask that you would help us to mimic you in every situation, every circumstance, every relationship we have. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 